begin. With everyone, it begins when you're born, or before that, when your parents got married, or before that, when your parents were born, or when your ancestors colonized the place, or when humans came squishing out of the mud and slime, dropped off their flippers and fins, and started to walk. But all the same, all that aside, for what's happened to us, there was quite a definite beginning. So, it all began when Corey and I said we wanted to go bush, go feral for a few days over Christmas holidays. It was just one of those stupid things. Oh, wouldn't it be great if... We camped out quite often. We'd been doing it since we were kids, taking motorbikes all loaded with gear and going down to the river, sleeping under the stars, or slinging a bit of canvas between two trees on cold nights. So we were used to that. Sometimes another friend would come along, Robin or Fee usually. Never boys. At that age, you think boys have as much personality as coat hangers, and you don't notice their looks. Then you grow up. Well, there we were, only weeks ago, though I can hardly believe it, lying in front of the television watching some junk and talking about the holidays. Corrie said, We haven't been down to the river for ages. Let's do that. OK. Hey, let's ask Dad if we can have the Land Rover. OK. Hey, let's see if Kevin and Homer want to come. God, yeah, boys, but we'd never be allowed. I reckon we might. It's worth a try. Okay. Hey, if we get the Land Rover, let's go further. Wouldn't it be great if we could go right up to Taylor's and into hell? Yeah, okay, let's ask. Taylor's. Taylor's Stitch is a long line and a rate that goes dead straight from Mount Martin to Wobogonu. It's rocky and very narrow and steep in places, but you can walk along it and there's a bit of cover. The views are fantastic. You can drive almost up onto it at one point, near Mount Martin, on an old logging track that's hard to find now, it's so overgrown. Hell is what's on the other side of Taylor's, a cauldron of boulders and trees and blackberries and feral dogs and wombats and undergrowth. It's a wild place, and I didn't know anyone had been there, though I'd stood on the edge and looked down at it quite often. For one thing, I couldn't see how you'd get in there. The cliffs all around it are spectacular, hundreds of metres high in places. There's a series of small cliffs called Satan's Steps that drop into it. But believe me, if these are steps, the Great Wall of China is our back fence. If there was any access, the cliffs had to be the way, and I'd always wanted to give it a go. The locals all told stories about the hermit from hell, an ex-murderer who was supposed to have lived up there for years. He was meant to have killed his own wife and child. I wanted to believe in his existence, but I found it a bit difficult. My brain kept asking myself awkward questions like, how come he didn't get hung like they did to murderers in those days? Still, it was a good story, and I hoped it was true. Well, not the murderer's part, but the hermit part at least. Anyway, the whole thing, the trip, grew from there. We made this casual decision to do it, and we immediately let ourselves in for a lot of hard work. The first job was to persuade our mums and dads to let us go. It's not that they don't trust us, but, as Dad said, it's a pretty big ask. They spent a lot of time saying no, but trying to talk us into other things instead. That's the way most parents operate, I think. They don't like to start a fight, so they suggest alternatives that they think they can say yes to, and they hope you might say yes to. Why don't you go down to the river again? Why don't you ask Robin and Miriam instead of the boys? Why don't you just take the bikes, or even the horses? Make it a real old-fashioned camp out. That'd be fun. 
Mum's idea of fun was making jam for the preserve section of the Wirrawee show, so she was hardly an authority on the subject. I feel a bit odd writing things like that, considering what we've all been through, but I'm going to be honest, not mushy. Finally, we came to an agreement, and it wasn't too bad considering. We could take the Land Rover, but I was the only one allowed to drive it, even though Kevin had his peas and I didn't. But Dad knows I'm a good driver. We could go to the top of Taylor's Stitch. We could invite the boys, but we had to have more people, at least six and up to eight. That was because Mum and Dad thought there was less chance of an orgy if there were more people. Not that they'd admit that was the reason. They said it was to do with safety. But I know them too well. And yes, I've written that O in no carefully. I wouldn't want it to be confused with an E. We had to promise not to take grog and smokes, and we had to promise that the boys wouldn't. It made me wonder about the way adults turn growing up into such a complicated process. They expect you to be always on the lookout for a chance to do something wild. Sometimes they even put ideas into your head. I don't think we would have been bothered to take any grog or smokes anyway. Too expensive, for one thing. We were all pretty broke after Christmas. But the funny thing is that when our parents thought we were doing something wild, we never were. And when they thought we were being innocent, we were usually up to something. They never gave me a hard time about the school play rehearsals, for instance, but I spent all my time there with Steve, undoing each other's buttons and buckles, then frantically doing them up again when Mr. Cassis started bellowing, Steve? Ellie? Are they at it again? Someone, get me a crowbar! Very humorous guy, Mr. Casser. We ended up with a list of eight, counting us. We didn't ask Elliot, because he's so lazy, or Miriam, because she was doing work experience with Fee's parents. But five minutes after we made the list, one of the boys on it, Chris Lang, turned up at my place with his dad. So we immediately put the question to them. Mr. Lang's a big guy who always wears a tie, no matter where he is or what he's doing. He seems kind of heavy and serious to me. Chris says his father was born on the corner of straight and narrow, and that sums it up. When his dad's around, Chris stays pretty quiet, but we asked them as they sat at our kitchen table, pigging out on Mum's date scones, and we got knocked back in one sentence. It turned out that Mr and Mrs Lang were going overseas, and even though they had a worker, Chris had to stay home and keep an eye on the place. So that was a bad start to our plans. Next day, though, I took a bike and rode across the paddocks to Homer's, Normally I'd go by road, but Mum's been getting a bit twitchy about the new cop in Wirrawee, who's been booking people left, right and centre. His first week in town he booked the magistrate's wife for not wearing a seatbelt. Everyone was being careful till they'd broken this guy in. I found Homer down at the creek, testing a valve that he just cleaned out. As I arrived he was holding it high, watching it optimistically to see if it was leaking. Look at that, he said as I got off the Yamaha. Tied us a drum. What was the problem? I don't know. All I know is that three minutes ago was losing water, now it isn't. That's good enough for me. I picked up the pipe and held it for him as he started screwing the valve back on. I hate pumps, he said. When Papa pops off, I'm going to put dams in every paddock. Good, you can hire my earth-moving business to put them in. Ah, oh, is that your latest? He squeezed the muscles on my right upper arm. You'll be able to dig dams by hand the way you're going. I gave a sudden shove to try and push him into the creek, but he was too strong. I watched him pump the pipe up and down to force water into it, then helped him carry buckets up to the pump to finish the priming. On the way, I told him our plans. Oh, yeah? I'll have a go at that, he said. I'd rather we went to a tropical resort and drank cocktails with umbrellas in them, but this'll do in the meantime. 
We went back to his place for lunch, and he asked his parents for permission to come on the camp. Ellie and I are going bush for a few days, he announced. That was Homer's way of asking permission. His mother didn't react at all. His father raised an eyebrow from above his cup of coffee, but his brother started firing the questions. When I gave the dates, his brother George said, What about the show? We can't go any earlier, I said. The Mackenzies are shearing. Yeah, but who's going to groom the bulls for the show? You're a class act with a hairdryer, Homer said. I've seen you in front of the mirror Saturday nights. Just don't go woggy with the bulls and put oil through their coats. He said to me, Papa's got a 44-gallon drum of oil in the shed, especially for George on Saturday nights. As George was not known for a sense of humour, I kept my eyes down and had another mouthful of tabbouleh. So Homer was organised, and Corrie rang that night to say Kevin was coming too. He wasn't all that keen, she said. I think he'd rather go to the show, but he's doing it for me. Oh, yuck, vomit, spew, I said. Tell him to go to the show if that's what he wants. There's plenty of guys who'd kill to come with us. Yeah, but they're all under 12, Corrie sighed. Kevin's little brothers are desperate to come, but they're too young, even for you. And too old for you, I replied rudely. I rang Fiona after the call from Corrie and told her our plans. Do you want to come? I asked. Ah, oh, she sounded amazed, as if I'd told her all about the trip just to entertain her. Oh, gosh, do you want me to? I didn't even bother to answer that one. Oh, gosh. Fee was the only person I knew under 60 who said gosh. Who else is coming? Corrie and me, Homer and Kevin, and we thought we'd ask Robin and Lee. Well, I'd like to. Wait a second, I'll go and ask. It was a long wait. At last she came back with a series of questions. She relayed my answers to her mother or father, or both in the background.